This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. Well, I trust everybody's doing well. Like I said, it's been a busy week around Indianola, whether you're from Indianola or not. It's just feels like there's been a lot going on, hasn't there? It's been pretty, pretty insane, pretty crazy around here. Uh, this morning, Pastor Barry, as you have noticed, is not here. Um, Pastor Barry and his family, including Pastor Amelia and Joe, who runs our live stream production, and uh, Anna, who is sometimes on our worship team and kind of half of our volunteer staff, evidently, uh, left with Pastor Barry. And they went to Florida because we were going to a conference because every two years, all the pastors from the Assemblies of God across the United States, not maybe not all of them, but a majority of them get together and we decide the future of our fellowship. And so um, Pastor Barry is down there and he took a couple of days early so that he could spend a couple of days with his family before the conference. And uh, Pastor Donnie and uh, his family and then my wife and, and our family are going to be meeting him down there this week. So please pray for us if you would. Uh, pray for our fellowship. We love the Assemblies of God. It's a great organization. It's a great fellowship of churches cooperating together for God's purposes and kingdom purposes. So pray that God's will be done in these meetings um, as we're down there. And, and pray for Pastor Barry, if you would, too. I'll tell you guys this. I'll tell you something because he's not here and I can say this um, in a good way. <laughs> you have a pastor that works incredibly hard. He is here more than any one of our staff. And sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes if I come in late at night, I find him here. And I'm like, why are you here? Go home, you know? Um, When he's away from this place, his mind and his heart are fully engaged on this place. And the conversation, I don't know if you've ever had these conversations with him, but it always ends up coming back to the church somehow. And uh, he's just full of vision, and he's full of dreams for this place. And he works incredibly hard. And so he's taking a little bit of time for R&R before the conference starts. So pray for him that he'll just be able to relax and enjoy it. And uh, if you remember to, just tell him thank you once in a while. uh, Because, man, there's, there's a a lot of great pastors out there, but we have one, and we have one that works incredibly hard and works incredibly long hours to make sure that God's purposes are accomplished here. So just make sure you do that, okay? All right. Well, you guys ready to have some fun this morning? I'm excited this morning. You know why? Because a lot of things went wrong this morning, technical-wise, at the church here for our production stuff. You know why that's a good thing? Because that means Satan's trying to get me distracted. We had some crazy things happen this morning, things that never happened, happened to our camera systems and our, our media systems, and I'm over all that stuff, so um, I, I kind of come in and try to help, help out when I can, and so I know that God's going to do some great things this morning because when, I'm, when things break down like that, it's not a coincidence. How many of you know that there's a very real war going on for our souls? In the heavenlies, and so sometimes even when you're working and you're doing your day in and day out things, there's a stuff that just happens, and you're like, "Why in the world? This is such a coincidence." Well, sometimes maybe it is a coincidence, but sometimes there's something working against you. That's why Ephesians tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against the people we see in front of us or the things that seem to be coming against us. We wrestle against the principalities and the powers of the dark world of the air, right? We wrestle against a satanic influence that's trying to knock us off course. So just keep that in mind. You know, that's just a little, that's not even in my notes. That's just a bonus sermon that you get this morning about spiritual warfare. But I just, I say all that to say that I'm excited because I know when things happen like that, the, the enemy is trying to knock me off course and get me distracted, but not today, Satan. It's not going to happen. We got a word, okay? So let's get to it this morning, and I'm also going to warn you, I'm, I'm after the service, like I said, we're going to be hopping in a car and heading down to Florida, so I'm, I'm probably going to be in a little bit of a mood this morning, and you're going to have to deal with me, okay? 
Are you all right with that? Can you handle me for this morning? All right, good. We have been talking for the last four weeks. We have a series that has been based on the verses found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. In fact, it's just one verse. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Let's read it together just for fun since it's... Let's put it up on the screen. Let's read it together today, all right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Man, it's like, for those of you that came from a Lutheran or Catholic background, you probably just felt right at home right there, didn't you? (laughs) Doing that. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, great verse. We've been talking about it. Pastor Barry's done a wonderful job of breaking it down the last three weeks, and we've really just been taking it section by section. And so I wanted to review real quick before I kind of got into, I get into the last part of the verse this morning. And talk about kind of what we have gone over the last few weeks. The first week or the first part of the verse that we talked about is uh, the first week when we said, if my people who are called by my name. So that tells us that this verse is for who? Is it for non-believers? No, it's for us, right? It's for God's people. Those of us who call God our Father. Those of us who follow Jesus Christ. It's for us. And uh, so those of us who are called according to his name and call, call ourselves by his name, which are Christians, right? Jesus Christ, we take the name of Christ as Christians. We call ourselves by his name. This verse is for us. Sometimes I think we try to put restrictions on non-believers sometimes, don't we? That doesn't really work that well, does it? Because how many of you know non-believers don't live according to God's word? And so when we expect them to live according to God's word, we're going to be very frustrated people. But when we realize, you know what? They, they're not bound necessarily by God's word um, because they don't live according to it. Then it kind of frees us up. And our job is to tell them about Jesus. Okay? And then once they receive the word about Jesus, then it is our job to let God take care of cleaning them up. Amen? So that's the first thing. If my people who are called by my name. Sometimes, um, sometimes the other part that we need to remember too, is that, or the second part of the verse rather, is that God says if they will humble themselves. We tend not to seek God's help when we don't acknowledge our need for him. And so basically, if you're going to have revival of any kind, you have to have humility. Because Coming to God and asking God for help is an act of humility. You're saying, I can't do it on my own. I don't have everything that I need on my own, so God, I need you. I mean, it just makes sense. Humility. You have to have humility in order to have revival because you have to acknowledge you need God's help. Some of you know you and I can't make revival just happen on our own, right? We need God's help. It's a sovereign act of His. And then the next part of the verse says, And pray and seek my face. So revival will only happen, will only be realized when we as God's people pray and ask for God's help. And we bring him into the situation and we bring him into the circumstance. And not just pray just for the sake of asking God to do something, but to really seek his face. I think sometimes we miss this. We come to God and we have our list of, God, I want you to do this, 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 and this. Amen. Right? Instead of seeking his face. What does that mean? That means spending time in his presence, getting to know God's heart, getting to understand who he is. That's seeking God's face. And that only comes with time. The last part of the verse says, and turn from their wicked ways. Another, another word for this, or another phrase for this, is repentance. It, it means literally to, literally it means you're going in one direction, you stop that direction, you turn and do a 180, and you go the other way. 
Repentance. That's what repentance is. It's not a 360 where we're like, ooh, hey, how you doing? Okay? It's a 180 where we turn and we go the opposite direction from our sin, okay? from our wicked ways. That's, what, that's another phrase for wicked. Wicked ways would be another phrase for sin. So we do a 180 from that. So for the last three weeks then, we've been dealing with if statements. If statements. Now, when I was in high school, I had a bit of a nerd streak in me, okay? And uh, when I was a freshman or a sophomore, I don't remember which, I took a computer programming class. And this was back in the days when they just started using computers in the classrooms, actually. I was kind of one of the first classes to kind of go through that in high school. So anyway, I, I learned this programming language called QBasic, which who, I don't even know if they still use it. I'll have to ask my programming people in here. Um, but I, I was programming, and I made this program that basically what you would do is you would enter your height and your weight, and then it would tell you, according to the body mass index scale, uh, if you were obese, overweight, normal, or underweight. How many of you would be really excited to find out which you would be excited to use that program? And I'll tell you, the program worked really good when I was in high school, the last couple of years, it must be buggy or glitchy because it keeps spitting out that I'm overweight and borderline obese, so I wouldn't recommend using it. But the reason I tell you that story is that that entire program that I wrote was based off of what they call an if-then statement. And if you're familiar with programming, how many of you are familiar with programming a little bit or if-then statements? Okay, some of you. Nerds unite, right? Awesome. If-then statements are what, basically what they are is if is a condition, and so once the condition of the if is met, then the computer will perform or the program will perform an action. First or second Chronicles, rather, 714 is one big if-then statement, isn't it? God was in a computer programming way back in the day. You didn't even know that, but he was already into it. So that's what Second Chronicles is. It's if we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, then God will fulfill certain promises. And there's three of them, and those are what we're going to be talking about this morning. So I want to go through those with you, starting with the first promise that God says, if you do these things, then I will, first of all, hear from heaven. God says, I will hear from heaven. Well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, essentially, to make it easy, basically what that means is that God will hear our prayers. And you're like, well, doesn't God always hear our prayers? Can I tell you, no. God doesn't always hear your prayers. There's a few insights the Bible gives us to why God doesn't hear some of our prayers. And understand, when I say God doesn't hear our prayers, it's not that he doesn't hear or know what we're praying. It's just that he doesn't acknowledge those prayers, right? It's like someone comes up to you and says, hey, sushi's on sale for five bucks. Let's go get some. And you're like, uh-uh, girlfriend, I ain't hearing that, right? <laughs> I told you I'm in a mood today. You're going to have to deal. Basically, you're saying, yes, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to acknowledge what you're saying. And that's what God does sometimes in our prayers. And there's three different reasons that I want to go through this morning as to why God does not answer, or God does not hear, rather, some of our prayers. First of all, if you're praying against his will. 1 John 5.14 says, Now this confidence we have before him, whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You're saying, well, Pastor Jerry, this says that God hears us. Yes, it does, when we pray according to his will, which infers that if we're not praying according to his will, then he doesn't hear what we have to say, right? So God could be asking you to do something. I remember a great story about this our pastor was sharing one time in Brookings, South Dakota. Um, they had a lady in their church who was dying of cancer, and they prayed um, for, they called a big fast of the church, and they were praying for her healing, and God specifically told him, I'm ready to take her home. God told him that, and so they, they called off the fast. 
and there was no healing for her because God had, there's, there's certain wills that God has, there's certain directions that God's going, and you can pray until you're blue in the face, but God is sovereign, okay? Because God, God listened to our prayers, can we change his heart? Yes, but God is sovereign at the same time. So if we pray against his will, inferring from John, 1 John 5.14, then he will not hear that prayer. Secondly, praying will in disunity with your spouse. This is kind of an interesting one, and we don't talk about this verse very often. It's found in 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. It says, In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of a new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. How many of you knew that? And this verse especially is talking to guys. Guys who aren't treating their wives right. How many of you have ever heard that verse? That if, God, if, you, if you aren't treating your wife right, gentlemen, then God says your prayers will be hindered. So maybe you're going into prayer and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and nothing is happening and it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe you need to think about what your relationship with your spouse is like. And I, think it, I really do think it goes both ways. But specifically, this is talking about guys. So guys, are you treating your ladies right? Ladies, are your gentlemen treating you all right? <laughs> it's pretty quiet, guys. You got some work to do, okay? You got some work to do. Um, but if your prayers are hindered, that might be something that you need to look at is how, are you, how is that relationship? How is your marriage relationship? Thirdly, if we pray with unconfessed sin in our life, God is not going to hear us. Psalm 66, Psalms 8, 66, 18 says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. So we have unconfessed sin in our life, in our heart, then God is not hearing it. And so that's why it's important, like it talks about in James, that we should confess our sin one to another and pray for each other that we may be healed. You know, when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what did they try to do as soon as they sinned and God confronted them? What did they try to do? They hid, right? They hid from him. He said, where are you? There's this idea and this concept in the Word of God about living in the light. And living in the light has, I'm sure, a lot of meanings. But one of the meanings is that you bring those sins to the forefront and you don't hide them from God. And you don't hide them even from each other. It's bringing them into the light so they can be dealt with, so that your prayers can be answered. Just like Adam and Eve tried to hide. That's what we do sometimes with our sin. We try to pack it away and hide it and pretend like it doesn't exist, but we can't do that. It festers and it sits there and it blocks us from hearing from God and it blocks God from answering and acknowledging our prayers. So those are three reasons why God doesn't necessarily answer prayer. But the amazing thing is, and according to this verse, that if we meet the conditions of humility, prayer, seeking his face, and turning from our sin, then God will hear our prayers, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. I mean, th we don't think about this much. We don't talk about or, or we maybe just don't. We talk about it and we say it, but we don't engage it with our minds and really think about the implications of the fact that the God of the entire universe hears us. The God who spoke creation into existence, the God who put these systems in place that run the galaxy has time for us and he hears us. Think about it this way. What if you wanted to go have a meeting with the President of the United States? It wouldn't just be as simple as going to the airport, getting a ticket, going to Washington, and then just running up to the White House lawn and knocking on the door and expecting a meeting, right? I'd like to see what would happen if you tried to do that. Um, you'd end up on the news and you'd have a bunch of social, uh, secret, what are those guys called, secret service? Yeah, those guys on you. <clears throat> I was going to say Gestapo, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> If you wanted to have a meeting with the President of the United States, what would that take? 
you would have to probably write in or you'd have to call in or you'd have to email and you'd have to, first of all, request a meeting, which you probably wouldn't get. Let's just face it. Most of us don't have the influence or a reason uh, that's good enough for the president to meet with us. But let's just say you did and the president accepted your meeting. You'd probably have to schedule months out because the president has a very busy schedule. And if you did get a meeting, you probably would get just a short amount of time, I would think. And then you'd have to go through security checks and background checks just to make sure that you could meet with them, right? I mean, it would be a process just to get 10 minutes with the president of the United States. How awesome is it? How awesome is it that the God of heaven, the God that created the world, is just sitting there listening and waiting for you to talk to him? No security checks, no appointments, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He is just waiting and dying to hear from you. That's awesome. He wants, to, he wants you to pray. I think that's pretty amazing. I don't think about that enough. Or, or I, we take advantage of that fact that God's always there to hear our prayers. But man, how incredible is that? Take advantage of it. So God says that he promises that he'll hear from heaven, right? He'll hear our prayers. Secondly, he says, I will forgive their sin, right? Second promise that's given to us in this verse. I will forgive their sin. Pretty cool concept. Again, it's another one we say all the time. And we've said it so much, it becomes like white noise and we don't think about it. But God forgives our sin. I think it's amazing that God decides to love us despite the fact that we have sin in our lives. And that when we confess that sin, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us from that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think the reason that we have a hard time with that because as people, we sometimes have a hard time forgiving other people, don't we? And so we start to view God through our lens and we think, I can't forgive others. There's no way that God can forgive me. And I've heard so many people over the years, as we're talking to them or talking to them about coming to church, they're like, oh man, if I came to church, the roof would fall in. Man, if I came to church, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been. And of course, the response is always the same God doesn't care. You can do whatever. I mean, your past can be filled with whatever, and God's ready to give you a clean start. But we have a hard time with that, again, I think because we just see people and we have a hard time forgiving them. In fact, there was a, there was a pastor who, after a worship service, got up and he said to his congregation, has any one of you have, uh, has every one of you forgiven your enemies? Raise your hand. And the entire, almost the entire congregation raised their hand, except there was one elderly lady in the front row who didn't raise her hand. So he stopped and he said, uh, ma'am, are you having a hard time forgiving your enemies? And she said, oh, no, no, not at all. She said, I just have no enemies. In, in astonished, the guy said, the guy said, may I ask? He says, very unusual. May I ask, how old are you? And the lady said, I'm 98 years old. She said, proud with a smile. And so he said, oh, ma'am, would you, would you mind coming up here and telling us how someone nearly 100 years old has no enemies whatsoever? And so she hobbled her way to the front of the platform and she got up with a big smile on her face and turned around to the congregation and she said, I've outlived every one of those suckers. <laughs> Sometimes. I told you I'm in a mood. I told you. I warned you at the beginning of the message. Sometimes we have issues with forgiving other people. And I think we carry that over and we think that God can't forgive us because we can't forgive other people. Or maybe other people have held on things to, that, that uh, we've done to them. 
And we can't forgive ourselves for that. But I want to let you know that God's, if you're living in that lie this morning, if you're operating out of that lie, and I know there are people that are doing that, I want to read some, some verses for you to show you exactly what God has to say about sin and forgiveness. Starting with Psalms 103.12. Psalms 103.12 says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. As far as you can get apart. That's how far God has removed our sin according to Psalm 103.12. Hebrews 10, 17 says, I will never again remember their sins or lawless deeds. There was a pastor friend that I had that actually had a congregation member who came to, who came to him and kept saying, you know, um, pastor, I really have a hard time with for, forgiving myself because I have this sin that I have in the past and I keep asking God to forgive it. And it's like God's not even speaking. And he said, well, of course God's not speaking to you about that because God has really forgotten your sin. He doesn't remember it against you and you're the one that keeps bringing it up. And God doesn't have any reference to deal with that because he's forgotten about it. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen, Surely it was for my, bene- my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. So here again, we have this, this image of God just taking our sin and just throwing it behind his back, you know? When I read that verse, I think of like the action star, you know, when they're, uh, the bomb's going off behind and they're just doing the slow motion thing, where they're not even looking around to see if there's any shrapnel or anything. And that's what I think of. I don't know where your mind goes. That's where my mind goes. Um, but God just sh- takes it and he throws it behind his back, doesn't look back to remember it against us. He has forgiven us 100% wholly and completely. And if you are in this place this morning, if you have humbled yourself, if you are seeking God's face and you are in prayer, and if you have turned from your wicked ways and repented, can I tell you something? This verse is a promise for you to stand on, that God has forgotten your sin. Don't let the enemy come in and beat you up by, by letting you think about those sins that you have in the past that are under the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't keep dredging them up in your thoughts. When those thoughts come into your mind, you block those thoughts with the verses that I just shared with you, and you stand on the Word of God so that you can have victory over that this morning, because you are free from your sin. Amen? We are free. Amen. The third thing that God promises us in this verse, he says, I will heal their land. That is the last thing that he says. Now, generally speaking, when we do um, messages and we have verses like this, usually we talk about the context, and we haven't quite done that yet in this series, but I want to take a little bit of time this morning because I think we'll understand the phrase, I, I'll, I will heal their land a little better, if I share with you what was really going on in Second Chronicles chapter 7. So in Second Chronicles chapter 7, there was a man there by the name of Solomon. Solomon was the second king of the nation of Israel. So obviously we know Israel. We know where Israel is today. Israel back then was a lot bigger, but it was the same group of people. It was the Jews, and it was in the same place essentially that it is now. Like I said, maybe a little bigger. But um, Solomon was the second king of this kingdom. His father David was the first king. And David, at the end of his life, handed the kingdom over to Solomon and and he, he said to Solomon, I wanted to build a temple for God in Jerusalem, which was their capital city. He said, but I never got an opportunity to do it. God never let me do it. And so he tasked Solomon with building the temple. And so Solomon did build the temple, and it was a beautiful building, beautiful structure. And uh, that was where the center of worship was for the entire nation of Israel. They would come and they would worship and they would sacrifice at the temple. 
So in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, what's happening is they just dedicated the temple, and Solomon gave this long prayer and long speech, and then smoke filled the temple, which was basically symbolic of God's presence being there. It was God's stamp of approval on it. And then shortly after that time, we get to 2 Chronicles 7, 13, 14, where God comes to Solomon one night. It doesn't say if it was a dream or it doesn't say what it was, but he tells Solomon, he gives Solomon a kind of a instructions, basically. And so in 713, here's what, here's what it says, and here's God talking to Solomon. And he says, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, that's 713, and then he goes on to say, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Um, so he talks about three things here. He talks about no rain. He talks about locusts eating and devouring the land. And he talks about sending a plague among, among his people. Now understand that this happened from time to time because what would happen is the Israelites would go away from God and they'd start worshiping other gods. And when that would happen, um, God would remove his hand of blessing from Israel and protection. And things like locusts would come in and eat all the crops, which was a big deal because they were like an agricultural society. So that was their livelihood, not to mention their food source. So when God removed his hand of blessing and there wasn't rain and there were locusts and they ate the crops, it was a big deal. And obviously when there was plagues among the people, sicknesses, they didn't have modern medicine to deal with it like we do. And I mean, even it's devastating today, but you can imagine back then when they didn't have medication to deal with it, how devastating that would have been. So there was times when God would do this. Okay, God would, would go through this process and he would... Um, remove his hand of blessing. And that's what God's talking about. But he talks about three things. He talks about no rain, locusts, and plagues. And so when God says, I will heal their land, and we look at it through the lens of this context, understand it was like a literal healing of the land. It wasn't a metaphor. It was like literal healing. He was saying, I will, I will heal the land so the crops will grow again. And, um, but I, I guess I, I tell you all that to help you understand the context because it's always important. But I also wanted to tell you that just because a verse in the Bible was written to a specific group of people at a specific time doesn't mean that it can't speak to us today. And that's what this verse is doing to us today, too. Because God's big enough, how I many of you know he's big enough to be able to make sure that, uh, to not just speak necessarily just to one group, but he can use that to speak to other people in history. And we know that because this verse made it into the word of God, it was, it was carefully preserved over centuries and millennia so that we could have it today that God meant for it to speak to us today. Amen? Amen. Okay, so we're on the same page. Um, but here's what I want to let you know. And so we, we might look at things like, you know, Drought, And when we have drought, but it's not as devastating as it would have been to them. Or, you know, locusts, we don't really have that so much anymore, or plagues. But let me ask you this question. Keeping in mind that, keep in mind this, water was a symbol of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. So when we read the verse, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, how many of you have noticed that the rain of the Holy Spirit has been sparse in our nation? That the full measure of the miracles that we see in the Gospels in Jesus' life and even the New Testament, we don't see those like we did then. How many of you have noticed that? How many of you have noticed that, like the locusts, the, uh, the enemies of God have devoured up the influence of God's people across our nation? There was a time in this nation where there was fairly godly people in places of authority that had influence who listened and read the Word of God and who prayed on a regular basis. How many of you have noticed that generation after generation that that influence has diminished over time, devoured up? 
And how many of you have noticed there's a plague across our nation in churches where there's selfishness and infighting that has caused churches to become weak and stagnant in our land? Have you noticed that? So in a very spiritual, real sense, but a spiritual sense, not as literal as this verse was initially meant, but in a spiritual sense, we very much need a healing in our land. And I don't think anybody sitting here would disagree with that. And God has promised to heal our land. That's a pretty amazing promise. But you're asking yourself this morning, why, or, or not why, but how in the world is God going to heal our land? Well, I want to I share that with you this morning. And it's kind of the conclusion of our entire series. God wants to heal our land. And what it's going to take and how, are, and how we affect change on a national level, um, God has a way to do it. God has a way to heal our land. But here's the problem. When we think of this verse, God will heal, heal our land, we think of things in a little bit of a backwards way. Um, and, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about here in just a second. But we think in terms, God, God has a way of, of sparking revival, of changing a nation. But we have it a little bit upside down. And what I mean is, if I, were to look at, if I were to look around and rewrite this verse this morning, based on how I see Christians trying to affect change in America, this is how it would sound, okay? If my people, who are called by my name, will boycott Disney, protest abortion clinics, and elect the right leaders, then I will heal their land. Is that true? That's how we're trying to affect change. And I think it's great that we heal, or heal, rather that we elect godly leaders. We need to elect godly leaders. I'm not saying we don't. But understand something? This thinking is backwards. It is totally upside down because when God changes things, he changes things from the bottom up, not the top down. And you know where that change starts? With us, with you, and with me. This verse is a corporate verse. And I understand that it's talking to a large group of people, but understand this. The change has to happen in an individual heart first. That's how God has designed revival to happen. It's, it's revival has to start with us, and then it spreads out from us. How many of you believe that we need to get prayer back in school? Amen? Amen? Then let's start praying in our homes. How many of you think that abortion needs to end? Yeah? Me too. Do you know how that happens? Yeah, sure, we can get the right people elected or we can have senators introduce bills. And I think there's been some great uh, headway that's happened in that area recently, which is great. When I was in South Dakota, we were part of a movement that tried to end abortion in South Dakota. And it failed. But I think even if it does succeed, I mean, it would be great and it would be amazing and I would rejoice over that. But listen to me, it takes one Supreme Court senator to change it back. It takes one election cycle to change that law back. So, is that the answer? I don't, I don't think it is. I really don't. Here's the, here's the answer to ending abortion. The answer to ending abortion is to reach people for Jesus Christ. Because when you reach a young couple for Jesus Christ, and they turn their lives over to Jesus, and they live according to the Word of God, and they're taught and they're trained on what biblical, godly marriage looks like in sacrificing um, each other for themselves, 
then a, a strong family is made, right? And then they have children. And children grow up in a home that's stable where they can be confident and they can know God and be trained in God. And then all of a sudden, in a generation, you have a group of people raising up or rising up who are, you know, sons and daughters who are getting married instead of having kids out of wedlock. You get ladies who are confident in who they are so that they're living according to the standard of God's word and they're not getting into situations where they want to have abortions and feel like they are so desperate that they need to have abortions, right? Then all of a sudden, guess what happens? When there's no customers for abortion clinics, what happens to the abortion clinics? They shut down. Guys, that's revival. One person at a time, one life at a time, one heart at a time. That's how we affect change in our nation. I've said it before as well with AIDS. We could end AIDS in two generations or less if we just listen to one commandment out of the Old Testament, if we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and their lives get transformed, that's God's plan for changing America. Are you on board with that this morning? That's how God affects change. It's not through a political process and a political system. It is through lives and hearts being radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing that life-changing power with other people to the place where Um, change happens from the inside out and it starts with a person and then it goes to a home and then it goes to a church and then it goes to a community and then it goes to a state and a nation in the world that's how it happens thanks for being a part of the indianola first assembly of god podcast join us next week to stay updated on our latest message